back to another episode of the Art versus Commerce podcast. Uh, this week we have guest Jeremy Leach. I I, met, I first met Jeremy on the set of Mind of a Chef, uh, much like previous guest uh, Ethan Mills. Uh, the two of them have been working together on the show since its inception. And you know, Jeremy is a, a director of photography. He's also he also does some directing as well, um, primarily in documentary style work. But he's starting to get more into narrative, and you know, we discussed that in the episode. Um, he's, he's traveled all over the world. He's worked all over the world. And at this point, he's an Emmy award-winning cinematographer and he works with the best in the business. Um, not only with Mind of a Chef, but also on, um, Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown. And before that, he was also shooting No Reservations. So in terms of the caliber of cinematographer that he is and his understanding of how to do travel doc, you know, he's up there with the best in the business. And it's really cool because I think when when you talk to him, he's just he's so humble, um, and so he just downplays it because I think that he's always in this mentality or position that I can always be better. There's always more to learn, and you know he just doesn't. Um, it never gets to his head because I think he's constantly just thinking about how he can continue to improve. And you know we discuss that mantra that like with this craft, there is no beating it. There is no being perfect at it. And I think that that reality for him just keeps him really level-headed and um, working with him on sets, always really cool. It's always a pleasure. He's, he's, we, we joke about it, but he always seems very like, you know, intense and, and thinking hard about what, what's, what's coming up next and how to, how to be one step ahead. And, and I think that that just makes for the excellent work that you get out of him. And in terms of the episode, I was just really it's so cool. I, I discussed this with the Diamond Brothers episode too, that you, you can work with someone and you don't know their background history. Uh, and sometimes it takes an environment like this to really get to know someone. So he has a lot of, he came, it took a long time, I think, for him to get to where he is. And that's really cool to hear because I think that that's a, a position that a lot of us are in. And it's, it's nice to know that, you know, these journeys can be long, but that they, it's, that long road is, is worth it. And it, and it sets you up to be the type of performer that you need to be um, when you finally get to a place that you're really happy to be at and, and, and getting jobs that you're, that you're honored to be um, a part of. And so, you know, I, was, I feel like I was able to relate a lot to him in terms of, you know, going abroad and, and doing something for yourself to figure out, you know, your own aesthetic and your own creative abilities, but also just figuring out a lot about yourself as like a young adult. Um, and I think a lot of us go through that. So it's really cool to hear his story, how that happened for him, and then how that eventually got him to be, you know, an Emmy award-winning cinematographer, which is something <laughs> we joke about it, but he, he keeps that locked in his, uh, in his closet, much to his mother's behest. So I think it's really cool to hear um, his perspective, and it was a real pleasure sitting down with him and, and his candor and honesty. Um, you know, it's always super appreciated, and uh, I, I just I can't thank him enough. So uh, in addition to that, just want to say, I know that um, the podcast has been getting a little nice press and we might have some, some new, um, new listeners. So thank you for being here. Uh, stoked that it's like, that it has some legs and it's getting out there. Um, and you know, if you can on iTunes, uh, rate it, review it, give us some love, share it with friends. Um, that'd be great. So as always, thanks so much for being here. When I got into college, I think it was before I left for college, it might have been for graduation, uh, my mom bought me a, a Pentax K1000 manual still camera. 
she had had one growing up. I think I just expressed some interest in photography along the way. When I was at school, I went to Villanova and I was doing horribly my freshman year. <laughs> I was making all the mistakes that every maybe most sheltered freshman make. Mm. I was, you know, it was my first time with some freedom, you know, getting drunk, experiencing, yeah. you know, all these things like some sort of sexual freedom in the way that you can have it as a, you know, repressed Catholic for <laughs> several years. <laughs> so you're spending at, a bit, at, at a bit of time outside of, uh, of the classroom. Yeah, just and, and not even doing anything, you know, I mean, it was just I, I wasn't able to deal with all this newfound freedom. Yeah. Um, when I look back on it, and I was doing terribly in school. You know, I was just uh, not doing well. And I was on, you know, like a pre-med biology track. And I Did you really want to do those things? Or was that kind of decided by I think, like, circumstance or going with the flow? I think, Were you passionate? To be fair, I mean, if I look back on it now, I did really love the sciences and I still do. I, I love math. Those things were really tapping into, you know, part of my brain that I think was really, um, I was really enjoying that work. But I think by the time I got to college, I was so burned out on the sciences and math that I just, I kind of had like a full-on meltdown, basically. Okay. I, you know, coupled with this newfound freedom of being in school, I ended up calling my parents and just saying, look, you know, I think for some reason I feel like I'd like to go to film school. They said, absolutely not. <laughs> we want you to stay at school and get, you know, continue your liberal arts degree. We think that's probably going to be the best thing for you moving forward because it's a general, you know, you can leave the, the, the science track that you're on, but just get a liberal arts degree. Where did the film, where, did the film come out of left field? Like, it's really funny when I look back on it, because at the time I had started kind of shooting, I met this young woman, her name is Sharon Griffin, really. She was kind of like this person that I, I met along the way that in a way, I don't think she realizes it, but she kind of changed the trajectory of my life mm. um, and that she was working for the school newspaper which was a very small publication, as you could imagine. Yeah. And she was kind of in charge of the, the one dark room on campus. And I had expressed interest. I think I had maybe gone to the newspaper office and expressed interest in shooting some photographs with my camera. And then she showed me how to um, print in the dark room. So I actually ended up spending a lot of time in there shooting primarily, you know, these little um, stories for the school newspaper. And I would just go and, and uh, you know, uh, work in the dark room. And that led you to, to film, though? I think so. I think that that probably... You viewed it all as the same? I think that I just kind of like I enjoyed the process. It felt kind of meditative. I, I think it was also a place where it was uh, in, in this building on campus uh, where my dorm was. It was my dorm, actually, but it was a very quiet part of the building. It was down in the basement. And it, I think it was just a place where I could watch these images come to life. And yeah. it just started... To, not that it was this overwhelming moment, this epiphany. It was just... I think things started to kind of bubble a little bit inside me and I began to think, oh, like this is interesting. I'm enjoying the process of capturing uh, life and then seeing it kind of come to life later on um, on paper. And then also there was a real, it felt good to actually see my photographs in the newspaper, you know, that. Sure. And I, I don't think I did it for that long. I think I only worked for the newspaper for maybe one or two years, maybe. Yeah. But that kind of, I think, started the conversation in my head in terms of, well, you know, what is it I really want to do? I ended up switching to political science, which I actually really enjoyed. And it's wonderful professors there. But the problem with the university I went to was that there really was no art program. It was basically a business school, science school, nursing, the really strong programs in those departments. But so if you stayed, there wasn't an opportunity to do film There was at all. nothing. I mean, they had a film analysis class, I think, which was... <clears throat> so every, did you stay? I did stay, yeah. And then how did you find film after that? Well, I finished my degree. I got a you know, poli-sci degree, a concentration in African studies, and then I um, had no job. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, I moved back home. And I, um, I started waiting tables. 
and I was waiting tables at a, an Italian restaurant like in the suburbs, 20 minutes from my house. And long story short, I was waiting tables one night. There was a, a kid from my high school that came in. He was on a blind date and they asked me what I was up to. And I just told him and I said I was looking to get into kind of film and video, I thought at that point. Yeah. And this young woman actually had a friend who worked at a production company outside of Boston. And she said, look, you know, why don't you give this guy a call? So I called them. They were looking for a graphic designer. I told them I had no experience. They said, well, we have an internship program. Why don't you start there? So that is really what started it off. And wow. the company was Kramer Productions and I worked there. I interned there and at the same time I picked up other kind of intern slash part-time work in the film industry in Boston. I was working at a rental house, um, sorting gear and fixing lights. And I was also uh, interning at a, um, at a camera rental house, just unloading mags and, you know, cleaning lenses and stuff like that. That's a, how long was that going on for? I was working those four jobs, waiting tables, interning. I think it was for the four of them in concert for maybe six months. And then I got offered a job as a driver at Kramer. And I almost jumped at it, but I thought, you know, I've gone this far. I just feel like I want to get into production. So Yeah. I that would have been a, a big difference, obviously. Like, because at, at yeah. this point, you're spending every day working with cameras, having them in your hands. Totally. And it would have been a great way to get in. But Were you doing any passion stuff at that point or was it just about figuring it no, out? You first? know, it's funny. I mean, this kind of goes back to, to me, there's like, like when I look at my kind of my evolution as an artist, mm -hmm. um, I would say, or as a filmmaker, I would say that the thing that I think was missing kind of in my early years is that I don't think that there was like a, a teacher or, um, or, or someone that was kind of mentoring me and kind of getting that creative part of my brain really kind of turning. And uh, so when I started in my 20s, really starting to embrace that. I feel like the other people I was working with had already had 10 or 15 years of like beginning to kind of think really creatively and yeah. learning how to kind of see the world in a different way and learning how to express themselves either by writing or I feel like I went through the same or, thing, you know, and feeling I didn't have like those tools. Feeling like there's a creative deficit comparatively yeah. to people yeah. around me. I just, I, I didn't have the tools to, I felt uncomfortable expressing myself artistically because I wasn't comfortable with the way, I didn't know how to do it really. When yeah. did that change? I think it's still a work in progress. I mean, I... Right, but there's uh, there was obviously a moment. I think I became more... I think I, as I moved forward in my career and kind of began to move into the camera department and became a director of photography and was interested in directing, I think that as a DP, I realized that I could see... If you told me to draw an elephant and I had like an elephant in my head and I, I knew what it looked like and I, I had the trunk and everything was really perfect in my head, I, I would not be able to draw that elephant on a piece of paper. Some people can, you know, and I think after, you know, years of training, they can do it. Some people can just do it naturally. I knew, though, that I could read, like, whether it was a script or hear kind of like an outline for a scene, and I could see it in my head. I could see the shots. They might not be the right shots, but I could kind of organize the scene in my brain. Yeah. And I could, I, and I knew how to get there. I knew how to kind of achieve that for the most part. Because of that, I felt like I had kind of unlocked this part of my brain that had been kind of dormant for a while. When did you feel like that happened? How late into... I think it was probably at... I left Kramer uh, after about four or five years. Uh, That's a long time. Yeah, I worked under an incredible... Um, he was really my mentor, a director of photography, a director... Uh, I'm sorry, director of photography, and he had been a longtime gaffer in Boston. His name was Bob Magro, and he was just an incredibly, incredibly talented What were uh, you doing lighter, for him, like first thing? Yeah, I mean, I was, he was, he basically was the head of our production department. Yeah. So I would just go on shoots with him and just watch and watch him light a set and watch him, watch his demeanor on set, watch him, um, you know, choose his camera angles. 
Was he very? Was he actively being your mentor, or was it just circumstance for this time? I think that he. We developed a, a really good relationship. I think throughout the years that I was there, I think he recognized that I was interested in in doing what he was doing, and kind of watching what he was doing. And I think he was more than willing to kind of give me some tips and pointers, and kind of let me. I think he he enjoyed the the teaching aspect of it. You know, he because of he was older than I was by probably about. I'd say probably 20 years, maybe more. He had had a whole experience in film. So he was, so I was able to get some of that. And then as we transitioned into the video. You were there at the, at the start. Exactly. So. And, and that whole time that was your one job for five years and it was paying you enough to support yourself. So education and, and yeah, yeah, but like (laughs) it was that you weren't seeking support elsewhere. This job had given you this platform Exactly. This job had given me just enough of a paycheck to live <laughs> in a one bedroom with two of my friends in a basement and, in Boston. And those five years <laughs> were what, like 21 to 26 or something? Uh, yeah, I think yeah, I graduated. I turned 20, uh, 22 that September after I graduated. So it was like 22 to about 26, 27. Yeah. And then I just, I got... Were you doing passion stuff on the side at that at that time? I mean, I was helping some people with like the, there was a you know tiny independent film scene at that point, like amongst people I worked with. So I was doing some. I was helping people out shooting their projects and doing some lighting. But I was on the road. I was working so much those four or five years. I was just on the road all the time, um, traveling with uh, Airy Kit camera. You know, picking up crew along the way. Sometimes traveling with crew, and I was just gone. I mean, I was basically on the road for four or five straight years. Shooting what kind of stuff? Is mostly corporate. Yep. Yeah. Were you, was your mind, where was your mind in terms of thinking about how you're going to like set up where things were going next? Or was it very much just about figuring out like each day? Because I would imagine you're, you are working with the DP and you're kind of getting some mentorship passively or actively, but you're also just shooting corporate stuff for like four or five years. That's a long time to be doing that kind of not, not exactly creative work. Was that bothering you? Yeah, I mean, there were some elements. I mean, Kramer was a, an incredible company. It was growing rapidly at the time. And there were, you know, there was a, I mean, there was a huge amount of uh, creative work that was going on there. It was just in the corporate field. So it was kind of within the confines yeah. of like a meeting opener or, um, and there were directors and uh, DPs there that were really pushing the boundaries, but it was pushing the boundaries of corporate work. So at the end of the day, I that do was, understand that though. It was always just a still high quality. It was high quality, but it definitely there, there was a, a boundary. You yeah. know, at a certain point, at the, end, no the executives what, at Fidelity are going to be like, you know what, we you know we need to shoot it this way. You yeah. Know? So we, yeah. So I ended up. Um, I got to a point after about four or five years where I, I knew I needed to move on, and I decided that I wanted to travel just to see the world a bit. So. And I really wanted to take some photographs and kind of see see what I had in the tank, basically. So see what you were capable of creatively. Yeah, I think so. Just as kind of a first, um, you know, actually, it's like something like you finally felt like you 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 had enough experience to say something of right. note. I mean, you know, I, it's funny I say that, but I, I'll just go back just a little bit and I'll make this brief. But you asked the question before. There was definitely a moment, and I'm remembering it now in college, where I felt I had that kind of first creative expression need to express it was crazy i mean i feel like it was probably like watching a 12 year old try and express themselves creatively but here i was 21 years old i got all of my roommates together and i told them i wanted to do a photo project as a present for my parents for christmas i wanted to shoot it on black and white i wanted to shoot like these kind of artistic photos yeah i was trying to convince them that i that it was a good idea for me to take some nudes because i really wanted my parents to see like you know 
they had a baby 21 years ago and this is what I look like now. And it was really, it was weird. I mean, for me anyways, but... Nudes of yourself? Yeah, yeah, of myself. It was all like these self-portraits. Giving self-portraits. them to your, par- to your <laughs> exactly. parents? Is that good? <laughs> totally weird. Completely yeah. bizarre. So, but for whatever reason, like that's where How'd my How'd that work went. out? Oh, it was exactly as you would imagine. I mean, it was a total, it was ridiculous. It was a, I shouldn't say ridiculous. It was, it was a person expressing themselves kind of learning learning the language of expression you know like i was i was trying to figure well, you, out you, you definitely went up for the vulnerable route <laughs> exactly <laughs> right, right. um was, how'd your parents react to that well I, this is what happened is that we took and it's so funny because the lighting was like um i put a comforter up like i hung a comforter from the ceiling and i lit the whole thing with like a bare bulb so i mean it, it was it must have looked very i mean when i got the prints dramatic. back i was like wow this is very dramatic and, and bizarre you know and, and they weren't full nudes they were kind of uh, tasteful i would say ah, <laughs> so uh, elegant and, and then and then i did some other ones just like some just you know some things with just uh my hands uh some kind of close-ups of my face and stuff like that the bottom and, line though is that um that sort of like true not connected to anything or, like of note or or of grounding but like just artistic expression yeah you did that you enjoyed that and that kind of i did and like i i basically set up the camera and i had my roommates just take the photos and what I ended up doing was I gave them, I didn't give them any of the, 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 the kind Thanks of partial nudes. Thanks for working with me. Here's, exactly. a, uh, here's the full Monty <laughs> shot right, right. that I hope you hang up. <laughs> right. Yeah, I didn't give those to my parents, but it was just an interesting process. But I did give them the, you know, this, I made this book of like a scrapbook of just the images of like my hands and some shots of my face. And I gave it, I gave it to them at Christmas. And it was, I, when they opened it up, like I totally broke down. It was like a really emotional Really? Yeah, like I completely, yeah, I, I totally broke down. It was like this kind of like floodgate uh, for, I think, because it was my first time kind of showing them like the direction I was interested in going in creatively. Well, especially and, considering that they had told you, we don't want you to leave this school or go pursue right, art. Right. You think a part of that was involved in that? I mean, I think that at the end of the day was the right decision. I think that my liberal arts education and political science education, you know, and um, ended up really doing me well in terms of like learning how to write and read and you know uh, the different literature i mean i still have my college books in our apartment and it was a really it was a wonderful education you know if i look back i don't know if film school would have been the right fit for me because i was so i didn't really know like yeah. i keep saying you i didn't know how might, to express you might not myself have been ready for it yet. yeah I, I don't know if i would have been ready to sit in a class with kids who were really their brains were already there artistically and yeah they've really been thinking about making movies since they were 10. yeah exactly or I know. artists or painters and you know we have a lot of yeah, so I, I just felt like maybe where I was was probably the best place because it was kind of a, a safe environment for me to explore some yeah. of these like larger themes. Yeah, but then, so you weren't necessarily exploring a lot of creative stuff in those five years at Kramer. Mm-hmm. And when you left, what was the goal that you wanted to do in terms of travel and photography? Was th- That's a goal in and of itself, but was there something that you were hoping for with that work? Um, I think... I Did you was, even view it that way? Oh, yeah. I, I think that, um, I mean, I, I had had a relationship that, had not ended well, sadly. And I think that was also part of it as well. I was kind of looking for, I just needed to get out. I needed it's to as kind good of- good an impetus as any. Yeah, and I just, I needed to shake things up a, a bit, I think, even though, you know, it's so, it sounds so cliche, but I, I just knew that um, I wanted to see the world. I felt like I hadn't really seen much of it. I had this real desire to kind of uh, take photographs and I wanted to shoot portraits and, uh, I, or I thought, I just bought a ticket. I saved up money. I moved home for a few months. Uh, saved up money and for basically to be on the road for five to six months. Where'd and you go? I, well, I started. Uh, my plan was to go to Turkey and then travel west through Europe. 
and then end up, you know, flying from some uh, from some port in Western Europe back to the States. By yourself? By myself, yeah. And my parents were obviously, of course, very worried. I have a severe nut allergy, so my mom was very concerned about my health and well-being, <laughs> uh, rightfully so. But they understand. They understood. They knew that I needed um, that I was serious about it. Like I needed to make this. Ever since your gift, they knew. Ever since at, the at gift, some, at some point, yeah, this was going like, to happen. This is going to happen. So <laughs> they they were very supportive. Even though I know my mom in particular was very nervous about just my health and well being. Sure. And and my father too was. But um, how'd it go? It was. I mean, it changed. It was one of the most. It was probably one one of the pivotal moments in my life. It what was, were some uh, of the things you feel like you you came away from it with? Well, the, the the first thing is that I, I remember getting on the plane and flying to Turkey and I was completely by myself and I, I had kind of a plan, but I was landing in Istanbul. What year was this? 2001. Okay. March 2001. I was landing in Istanbul. Um, and once I hit Istanbul, you know, I immediately was like, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. And I yeah. this cab driver told me that my hostel had burned down and then he wanted to take me to another hostel and all this stuff. And I was kind of falling into the... I was just, you know, falling into kind of the normal traveler issues that you run into. You know? Sure, you, sure, sure. You look like a rube when you come off the plane, you know? Yeah, so, but that's good. But I somehow found my way, and I spent this time in Turkey and I, in Istanbul. I met all these incredible people, travelers, all different ages, and I ended up traveling for a month, almost a month and a half through Turkey, down mm. south through Cappadocia, Antalya, Olympos, uh, Fethiye, and then up back up to Istanbul. And then at that point, I decided, people had said to me, like, look, don't go west. Fly, go to Southeast Asia. So... I bought a ticket and I flew to Bangkok and I was there for, but I don't quite remember the, the chain of events, but my, my, one of my closest friends was traveling through Australia. Guys met? We met for, I think it was two weeks. We met down, we met in That's Bangkok cool. briefly and then we went down to uh, uh, the islands. She was dating this, uh, this Swedish girl and she was tending bar down there. It was great. So we hung out down there and then he made his way off to Japan. Then I made my way through Cambodia and then back into Thailand and northern Thailand, and then were you were you developing what you were shooting? No, I was traveling with a fanny pack filled with like two hundred and fifty rolls of film. It was crazy. Oh my for god! Both, like in hostels, place how are, and you're just like buying more rolls as you keep going. Buying more at this point, film is so, is film ubiquitous. Is like it's like everything. It's it, everywhere. Yeah. Um, were you? So you weren't even you weren't even sure what you were getting. Yeah, no, I had no idea. But but you were happy with like the overall creative aspects of the trip. I was. I mean, I loved just going out every day with a camera on my neck, and I had no plan. And I would just uh, I really pushed myself. It opened up all these doors. I think the the camera allowed me to access uh, different cultures and different people's lives because maybe it was just my nature. But I was very non threatening, you know. And I, I just would I would walk into neighborhoods and someone would just maybe take me in or talk to me and then I would be hanging out with a family or something. But I was very, I think one of the biggest issues for me and what I said to myself before I left is that I, I did not want to go on this big exploitative right. journey fine, where, fine where, where I'm photographing people's babies and, you know, and like, and then posting that, you know, it's like I had, I had no desire to do that. I think my desire was to connect with the people that I was photographing in the tiny way that you can connect with someone when you just meet them. Sure. But no, I, I made sure that I asked everyone. I didn't want to sneak candid photos. And yeah. I, I made the rule for myself at the beginning. I said, I'm going to ask everyone that I photograph. And I think for the majority of the, I would say 99% of the photographs, the people were asked. Mm -hmm. I just Because I felt like if I can't engage these folks, it's not fair for me to just be snapping photos of people in their backyard. And I really wanted to give them the respect to say, look, I would love to take your photograph. 
is it okay if I take it? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. if they said no, which happened several times, I would say, okay, I totally yeah. respect that. So, were you ever throughout this whole process at any point wishing that you were f- like filming it instead? I guess video wasn't really accessible at that point, so f- to film it would have been a whole different uh, level of production. But w- like, because because obviously you're not a professional photographer, right? Were the were the the cinematography mindset was that ever coming in, or like when you got back from the trip, how did you? take what you were doing in photography and move it into motion? Well, it's, I, I ended up from Southeast Asia, I ended up coming back into, I, had to, I came back from my little sister's graduation, so I flew back through Italy, I got horribly, horribly sick um, on the way back, barely made it back to the States, was in the emergency room like a few times in the States. And then after the two weeks that I was home for her graduation, I, actually, I flew back to Italy and my plan was to get back to Southeast Asia, if I remember correctly. But once I got back to Italy, I found myself actually going through Slovenia and then down into the Balkans. So I spent a lot of time and I ended up getting really fascinated by Bosnia and Croatia. Mm. When I was in Sarajevo, I was doing some shooting downtown and I, there was a bunch of guys that were uh, breakdancing on this cardboard box in the middle of the square. And on the, the other side of the square, there were these old men playing, you know, giant chess. Okay. And then there were these, you know, older folks that looked to be from the outskirts of town, potentially uh, merchants, were gathered around these young kids break dancing and listening to hip hop, both Bosnian hip hop and American hip hop. And some, some French hip hop as well, if I remember correctly, in German. Um, so I just started photographing them and I started hanging out with them. And there was one group in particular called The Blunt. And it was three guys and they grew up in Sarajevo. And, and I ended up going on their, this independent radio program and kind of, I was talking to the DJ there and he put me on air briefly. And I kind of got immersed in this whole hip hop scene in Sarajevo. And I went to um, a, a, a breakdancing hip hop uh, concert, like a, a, okay. a, a an event, yeah. where they had b girls and they had b boys. Like there were troops from all over Bosnia that would come to perform. At that, I ended up buying a tape recorder. I I was pretty low on money at this point, yeah. but I really wanted to get these guys' stories. So I ended up buying a tape recorder, just recording them. But I remember at that moment thinking, if I had just bought a video camera. I think it really would have been an incredible um, story to follow these guys. Hmm. I mean, first of all, their stories about the um, the war were... Uh, you got a taste for running into something really special like that needed to be oh. documented in a deeper way. I, I think so. I mean, I didn't know if it needed to be me that documented it, but I was just naturally interested in the whole scene. I mean, I, I was a fan of hip-hop growing up, and I was really interested as to how it made the transition to Sarajevo. And then on top of that, there was a story of this independent radio station and you know the these these young men's stories about the war and what it meant to be in Sarajevo and why how that kind of informed their lyrics so it was really fascinating and i i mean in hindsight i i wish i had stayed in bosnia for another 2 months just to hang out with with uh with these guys it was it was really an incredible experience and i i couldn't believe that they kind of let me yeah hang out and kind well, of lots of beauty like half the half the battles just being there yeah, I guess that's right. When you when you got back, did you have a newfound focus on how you wanted to pursue? Like, were your when when did your thoughts start transitioning towards I need to have a career in something like longer term plans, or was that not how you went about it? I think basically what happened is that I I when I came back from that trip, I was transformed. I think would be the the right word. Sounds I, I really, transformational for sure. Yeah, it was it was it was an incredible experience, and I, I um you know sadly. You know, I, f- I feel like I, you know, I know it was difficult for my parents and for 
you know, my family the transition because, you know, when you have someone that comes back from a trip like that, they're, if, if they're not very gracious about it, it can tend to be like, oh, well, you know, I've been to, you know, the stuff I've seen over the past six months, it's really changed me. And that, you know, I, I don't think I was very gracious so, or gracious enough when I came back. I think that mm-hmm. I was really grappling with like these new things I had seen and how it, how it had impacted me. I really and, understand what yeah. you're talking about. I mean, my, my experience, yeah. I lived for two years in Brazil and yeah. kind of had, you know, there are comparisons to draw for sure. And on the way back, there is that, right. who can you relate to? And who no matter you, how much you fight it. And I tried to fight it, but it just, I would catch myself sometimes saying something. And yes. I was like, Jeremy, you were being such yeah. like a brat. Right well, now. Like, like the problem you know, is too, <laughs> is that you but, just want to have an, an honest conversation well, about this thought that you're having. Cause like, I remember I'd run into things and I'd see something, yeah. something on the street in New York. Like, Oh, that reminds me of the time that I was in, in this part of Brazil yeah. and this happened. And like, it's a very innocent I'm just trying to tell you about something that happened to me, like the way right. that you would tell me, oh, two weeks ago I saw this. Yeah. Except there's just no way that you can't, that you don't sound like right. kind of, a, kind of <laughs> exactly. an asshole. Right, totally. Uh, you know, but my parents, as usual, dealt with it. I mean, it wasn't anything serious. It was just, it's me being hard on myself. I just, those few things I wish I yeah. no, had done I differently. You. But they were, handled it gracefully. I mean, I lived with them for a little bit, then knew I kind of, wanted to get into, I think, documentary filmmaking. So I ended up um, interning again at a production company. So you, you were interning again at, how old are you now? Like 30, 28? I was 30 and, uh, oh, was I? Th- it was 2001. Uh, when I had returned 10 days after I got back, 9-11 happened. And, uh, oh, man. So it was a whole, you know, processing that, obviously, uh, having just come home. Yeah, there, there was just a lot going on that's, in, yeah, that's in general. A lot. You know, so I was 27, I think, when I returned. Yeah, because I was only gone for. About I, five I guess months. I'm asking because you weren't you weren't upset at the fact that the opportunity or like the way forward was from interning. Like you weren't that wasn't below you in any way. No, I've never been. I mean, I'm 41 now, but I'm hoping my internship days are over. But <laughs> at the time, I mean, I was just hungry. I was like, I'll intern. I'll work for free at a place called Northern Light Productions, which was a, a you know wonderful documentary production house. They welcomed me with open arms. I interned there for three months, and then they hired me uh, as a DP, because I think they saw that I had had all this production experience. I wasn't like 22. At, the, sure. at that point, I was, you know, I'd been shooting for a while. That was really where I think I kind of spread my creative wings. I worked with an incredible group of people there that we had some really intensely fun times together. We were doing a lot of filming for museum, for museums, museum films films for state parks, like for the National Park Service. We're doing a lot of like reenactments for uh, visitor centers for um, for their films. So we were spent a lot of time in the woods, camping out, shooting muskets, or like filming people shooting muskets, um, choreographing battle scenes and stuff like that. And it was incredibly fun. Yeah. Uh, and because we were all around the same age. And creatively satisfying. So sad because, you know, we treated them like featurettes. I mean, they were like mini... We had storyboards and we had, you know, shot sequences. And, you know, that was the first time it re- I had ever really done that. But it really made sense to me. I felt like I could kind of see how we could play out this this story of the Battle of Fort Necessity into a 12-minute film that's going to sit in a visitor center. So were you doing passion stuff on the side at this point? Or you kind of felt like you were getting those rocks off just being, just doing this this work that was for the company? I think I really felt like there was so much creative energy going on at the company at the time. I felt like I felt pretty satisfied there. I mean, I was very busy. I was traveling a lot again. And I, yeah, I think that I was able to kind of inject a lot of creativity into the project. Well, I guess like, did you feel, did you feel like you were exactly where you had, where you wanted to be? Or was there something inside? Like I, you're still gunning for some sort of, I don't know what, another, another goal or like a bigger position or anything like that. You know, at the time, I think I was pretty content. Um, I think I'd kind of found this new position as 
as a DP, I guess I would call I would have called myself at that time, even though looking back, I was probably a little young to have that title. Because of the size of the company and the scope of the company, I was doing all the responsibilities of a DP. You know, I was in charge of for the projects I was working on. I had the you know, the camera angles and the placements and the lighting and all that stuff um, and storyboarding. So I felt like that that was kind of what I was going to be. Was just I would continue being a director of photography and. You know, I would just kind of figure it out as time went by because I, right, I was the jobs would change, but you, right. you were, you were, you were in the role that you wanted to be. And also I just come back from, you know, a trip where everything was so free and so open. There was some structure to my life. Finally, I was getting a paycheck and I was like, you know, I'm just going to enjoy this kind of stabilize things for a while. How long did that last? That I believe I was there for four or five years as well. And then I had met my wife while I was at a Northern Light. She started working, I think, after I'd been there for about three years. As, as a producer? or She was working as an associate producer. You know, we had just become really, really good friends, traveled a lot together, shot a lot together, or worked a lot together, and then uh, started dating. And as soon as we started dating, six months later, we moved to New York. Oh, this wasn't in New York? No, the, the, this is all in Boston. Oh, still in, all, yeah. all still in Boston? Yeah, this is all still in Boston. So uh, I was living in Cambridge at the time. Why, why did the move to New York happen? Well, Aoife, my wife, um, she was really interested in, in kind of exploring New York, and I was excited about being with Aoife, so I just felt like, well, I'm just <laughs> going to go and check it out. So, But it didn't, I guess you were, you felt comfortable enough in, in your resume and reel that you could make it happen in New York? Did it, yeah. And did, I mean, did New York also seem like, yeah, that is a bigger market? Honestly, like I never really thought about it. I mean, because I felt like at that point, I felt like I'd always kind of been lucky enough to land on my feet that I thought, well, you know, I mean, maybe it was being too naive, but I thought, well, I mean, I guess we'll just go and figure it out. In hindsight, we did it in the probably the most challenging way possible. Neither of us had jobs. We had just started dating. We had never lived with other people before and we moved in together. Um, How long have you been dating? We've been dating for about, um, by the time we moved, it had been maybe eight months, Okay. months. So you weren't, it wasn't necessarily yeah. fool's rush in, but. Right. But once we got here, um, I mean, Aoife had like a really solid uh, circle of friends here. So that, that really helps. softened the landing a lot. Sure. So we had, her friends were incredibly supportive and really um, helped us through the first two years. And we met just incredible people here. And I felt, I think we felt very welcomed. Although it was, as you know, New York is a very difficult environment to struggle in, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's just prices the prices just keep going up no matter how yeah and also if you're not feeling your best sometimes it's tough to walk down the street in a city where everyone kind of looks like they're feeling their best at all times you know that's Um, interesting what do you mean um i I guess well maybe i should say i should say just because of our neighborhood where you know um that being williamsburg yeah it just you know i I mean everyone uh even though it's not true because everyone is everyone has bad days but it's a place where you really want to be stepping out the door feeling very confident you know because i think Mm. in my mind there are so many confident talented people that that work and live here that sometimes if i felt like i was having an off day i just think oh man everyone else seems like they're doing really well and i'm just like (laughs) struggling and that would weigh on you oh yeah like like the comparison kind of thing i think so just because i felt like um yeah, I, I think I was worried at a certain point that I, I that I, you know I wasn't going to make it in New York, and that if I didn't really have any success in New York, then what? Like then what was the option? How long did that feeling last? Like how how long were you unsure of your ability to make it here? I mean, I think I still am. Uh, I think I, I've always really? been. Yeah, I think I've always like, been. Honestly, 
you know, honestly, like I, I feel like I've always been that person that I will, um, and I've talked to a few other DPs about this that share the same quality. It's not a very healthy quality, but no, I think I got it too. Yeah, it's you know, like things will haunt me for weeks. You know, like what kind? Uh, like a, a, a camera angle that wasn't had something in the background that I didn't think was good, or like a, a lighting plan that didn't work, or. Mm. You know, like those little things, and and um, I, I'm very, very hard on myself, and I think that I've never really gotten away from the whole thing that oh, this could be my last job. You know, <laughs> that still, I, I may never get hired again. Still, yeah. but here's an interesting question: Is that that quality can obviously have some can be a painful mental experience? Would you change it if you could, or do you feel like it's it's part of the matrix of your success? I think it is very anxiety-inducing, as you would imagine. Sure. Um, I do think that there is, um, I think that our industry requires some level of perfectionism. I think in 100%. order, I think in order for it to, uh, you know, I feel like a lot of people I talk to in the industry, they have that element of perfectionism. Yeah. So I think it's important, but I think it's, for me, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing. It's a thing that gives me, you know, that I get anxiety from, but I understand its importance mm. and that, you know, always wanting to be, make sure that you're very vigilant about, you know, your performance. I mean, in, in terms of that you're bringing your best work to the table. And that's, I've actually thought about this a lot because again, I never imagined that I would kind of end up in, in, a, in, a, in a field that, in, in a creative field like this. So sometimes I feel like I'm not really wired for it. And then other times I feel like, well, I am, but this is just how everyone feels. And the, the thing that always sticks out to like me is... the being a phony kind of thing? No, no, no. I, I think it's more about... Um, I think that when you're in a creative field and you're being asked to perform creatively, to come up with something every hour of every day, you know, whether it's like in our industry... It's, yeah, it's relentless. It's like, look, okay, we need to get this shot and you guys need to pick the angle and set it up and put up the lighting and it needs to happen in an hour. And so you're making all these creative choices, one after another, after another, after another, that are really up for everyone's critique, you know? Yes. so. It's a constant, every decision you make is, there's a potential of it being critiqued. And that's similar in most jobs. But I think one of the differences in a, in a creative job is that it's, it can be viewed as a personal critique, mm. you know, because, well, they're actually critiquing my vision. They're critiquing my view of my lens choice. Like they wouldn't have chosen that corner to shoot in because it doesn't work for them subjectively. Yeah. And that I think is tough that over and over again, you know, you, you have to develop coping mechanisms to deal with that, I think, and maybe not take it as personally. Because, what are your mechanisms? Uh, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I don't really know. I think, I, I think it's maybe this conversation that I have with myself is understanding that that is a part of the job. Yeah. And that it's it's not the be all end all, but it's it's an element of the job and if you want to continue in this job, I think it's that will always be there. You know, there will always be someone who's looking at your footage and potentially saying, "I don't like that." Right. Doesn't mean it's bad, just means that subjectively they don't like it. Well, what's interesting is that this is reminding me of the conversation I had with Ethan because a part of us we, part of the conversation we were talking about when Mind of a Chef became an Emmy award-winning show, there was a layer of vindication there. Um, did you feel that as well? Like, let's talk about ZPZ. Like, how, how long ago did you start working there and what was that experience like? Because obviously, I think in a documentary travel field, that's the spot. And it must right. feel like if, they're, if they, if they want to hire you, that's got to have, that's got to play into this conversation you're having with yourself. Oh, completely. I mean, I think if you have a job that you don't want to lose, there's always an element of, okay, you know, there's for me like an element of like nervousness about performance and making sure that people are happy with your work and that you're you're operating at a high level. I think ZBZ is one of those places. I mean, I've been lucky enough throughout my career to work with these companies that just have incredibly talented people that motivate each other, but are also very supportive of one another. 
having a client like ZPZ or working for them and working on these shows, you know, th- this is a job that most people don't want to lose. So there's this element of, you know, making sure that, uh, well, not making sure because you can't really, can't really make sure, but that at the end of the day that you, you're putting your best foot forward, you know, that you know that yeah. you're, that you're giving the, the most effort. And then if people, you know, aren't maybe happy with certain angles, then ideally it's a conversation that happens not based on work ethic or, or merit, but it's more about, you know, just visually, this didn't work for us or this did work for us. Yeah, no, no. When it's not about some bigger thing about you as a person, right. but just talking about an individual choice you might right. have made, that's a different conversation. But it's that's hard better, to, but I think for me, it's hard to separate that sometimes, you know. It's I like, think it's hard yeah, for everyone. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, I, I can only yeah. speak for myself. It's hard yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, when you were, you know, starting off at, with these shows, what was that experience like winning those those awards? Like how much was it, is it something where you try not to think about that aspect of it or did it like were you like super stoked and then it give you some sort of you know i don't know optimism or i think my seems like a like a watershed moment in someone's career maybe but i'm not speaking from experience there i i don't i feel like i probably don't pat myself on the back enough um i think as we're talking like my emmy is sitting in a box in our in our changing room in the back of our apartment you know <laughs> and my mom is mortified she's like that should be you should have that out on the table and I just, my feelings like, ah, you know, it's just, I, I don't, you know, it's something I'm proud of, but I feel like I've always been very private in a way about my accomplishments. Is that a gut check from the times when you came home from your trip and uh, spoke too much about it? Possibly. You know, I think that, uh, I think I've always valued humility in, in, in people that I've looked up to. Mm-hmm. I think the people I care about and the people I work with, like, I think we all recognize like uh, each other's gifts and talents. And that means a lot to me. Uh, so to get the award was, you know, I feel like it was an award uh, from our peers and it meant a, a ton to me and also to the people that I worked with on the show and the other people in the company that I work with. But I don't know if I'm ever really satisfied. I, you know, I, I joke, I think sometimes that at 80 years old, I'll still be wondering like if I was a good DP, you know? Well, cause that's what I'm, that's what I'm curious about. It's like, cause I guess for some people, or at least where the thought process behind the questioning comes from is that like that award is what you're after uh, or, or not, not necessarily, but like it's, it's the, it's a symbol of what you're after in terms of achieving craft at a certain level. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't like, what, what are you, what are you after? What are you chasing? Well, I, I think if I look at my overall, um, and I think this has been consistent probably throughout my life. I, I really value, I, I, I value the craft and I value the time it takes. One of the things I love about this industry and I love about uh, the work that I do is that I don't know if I'll ever, master what i do and to me there's something beautiful about that um yeah you know to master something at 23 years old has got to feel wonderful at the time but then relatively empty later on because where's the where's the journey you know where's the uh where are the achievements to look forward to and i think that's the beauty of the arts or, or, or of um a craft is that i look forward to learning something new every day which happens all the time i know that sounds cheesy but you know I, well, i'll be on set it really does yeah i mean i'll be on set every time yesterday i mean every time on set and i'll you know if you're open to it and you yeah. are open to realizing that you're not the expert on everything and that there's always something to learn there are so many things that you can pick up and i'm just really looking forward to picking up those things over the years so that ideally I could be a mentor to some younger filmmakers or, or younger uh, artists and just kind of tell them some of the things that some insights and some things that I picked up along the way. But I think the what I would tell them primarily is that to me, it's the beauty of it is knowing that you're probably not going to know everything and that you will get better and get better if you work hard, but you may, may never master it. You know, yeah. you'll always be questioning, you know, did I really, you know, do I really know how to light? You know, do I really know how to, <laughs> 
frame up a shot. And that, I think that's beautiful. I mean, it's, um, that's the only way that, Im- that improvement can keep happening. Yeah. Cause once you feel like you've satisfied that totally, it shuts off. Yeah. But I mean, even in terms of mentoring, I don't know if it needs to be so active, but even working with you on set, I mean, it's, it's osmosis in a way, like just seeing, I don't know. I, I think you, you approach things in a very calm, it's calm and, and focused. And I don't, you know, I've worked with a lot of DPs and they're, but like the level of um, quiet intensity is something to to take away. Like uh, from 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 where I was standing, it was something that I picked up on watching watching you work. It's funny. I feel like I hear that a lot. People even yesterday, someone said, "Oh, you just you seems like so calm." It's really. He yeah. actually thought I was from L.A., but I just. I thought it was like a West Coast vibe <laughs> yeah. or something. And to me, it's like it's all internalized. It's like. The anxiety that I'm internalizing is overwhelming. It's amazing That's to me incredible. that I actually have like a calm demeanor because I feel like I'm the most anxious person in the room. So well, it, it's funny when when I hear that description, but I, I do hear it. You mask more it often well, than not because it seems it seems like just like a calm understanding of knowing what you want. I mean, I, I think there's an element to that, but there's definitely you know, I think like most people, all those feelings of indecision and concern and uh, that are definitely hear. bubbling inside. Yeah, because I was like, man, he just he knows exactly. Oh my god, that's ter- that's frightening. No, I mean, I, I, I mean, does <laughs> or like that, intimidating. Yeah, I mean, does anyone really know exactly what they want? Who knows? I mean, no. maybe some people do, but no, yeah, uh. no, I hear you. Um, and I know that you're you're moving a little more into narrative work, or mm-hmm. you, that you've been doing that. Yeah. Um, how did that? Because it had been documentary and travel for so long. Where did this light bulb go off? Or like, I I really want to start doing some scripted stuff. I think that was something I always was interested in doing just because the, you know, having done like documentary work for so long, it's just a different energy that you bring to the, to the set, to the table. And I was really looking forward to kind of being able to kind of control my environment a little bit, as opposed to, you know, as we're running around kind of capturing what's happening and having very little control. I was really excited about actually creating, like I said, an environment that we could control somewhat. Within that though, uh, the film, we actually just uh, premiered the film in at Ryerson University in Toronto, which was great. So it was the first time we actually got people that people actually saw it. Because I don't really think I've really showed it to anyone except in just bits and pieces. That's exciting. Yeah, it was very exciting. My the woman that co-directed it with me, Wendy, uh, she's just an incredible artist, mentor. Um, she's definitely transformed my life as well. Was this one of the first things that you're that you directed? Yeah, it it, it is. Uh, Where did that desire? How'd that come about? Well, it's it, it actually was a story that Wendy and I uh, had been collaborators for a while. We made a children's film together years ago, or it was it was her film, and I, I helped her make it. I I shot it and then did a little bit of uh, directing with her as well, and then edited it. Uh, we were talking about making another film. And we were just in my apartment, I think this is probably six or seven years ago. And, you know, I was just talking about some ideas and throwing some ideas out. And all of a sudden it just kind of became this, um, over the next four years, if you can believe it, five years. I can. Me and Wendy and her daughter Jazzy would sit down and kind of talk story. And we came up with like an outline and there's so many different iterations of the story. And then, you know, finally we just said, look, let's put the money together that we have and let's make it. It cost us about, I think all told, what now that we're done with this, probably about thirty, thirty-five to forty thousand dollars. It was our own money. We just bit the bullet, and uh, it Did that was. Make you approach it any differently when when it's your own when it's your own actual money um, on the line. I think we definitely. I think because of my experience in the film industry, I, I I was aware that how budgets can balloon and explode. And I, you know, um, I have a baby now, and you know, my wife and I had, had talked about having a family, and you know, I didn't want this to become like this huge 
debt that was kind of hanging over us as we were kind of beginning this new phase of, uh, in our life. Uh, we basically tailored the budget to meet the, to uh, tailored the story to meet the budget. And what that meant was we we found like I did all the location scouting. I found places that were that we could uh, you know give people a decent fee, but not these exorbitant like uh, you know we weren't renting sound stages right, or right, anything right. like that. Yeah, we had uh, two actors. One was the primary actor. He was in the whole film. There was no dialogue. There might have been three lines in the film, I think. It's a feature length? Yeah, it's 70, 69 minutes, I believe. And then uh, Jazzy's da- um, Wendy's daughter, Jazzy, was the other. She played the other character uh, who's in it probably 25% of the film. And so very much an indie approach. Yeah, and very small crew. It was myself. I shot it. It was with the camera package that I owned. Which one? I had the Canon C300. Okay. And then I just spent all the money on lenses. Yeah. So I just shot it on the, the, digi, uh, the Cine Primes the Canon Cine Primes. We kept the crew really small and we had a sound person, a Sam Parsons, uh, Zardin Richardson was our AC. Who gaffed it for you? We didn't, we actually, we used all available light. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, we used, I. Th- yeah, we used basically, yeah, all available light. We had one, we had one scene that we did, um, we used a light panel for, but that scene isn't even in the movie. So, <laughs> but basically what it meant was, was that for me, like on the, on the, on the front end, I had to go and find the locations, understand the weather, the time of day, where the sun's going to be. And I basically just picked all of our locations yeah. and our times of day so that we could do it. Oh no, I, I've what. seen beautiful stuff that I think I've seen one, uh, short film that's like 40 minutes and it's absolutely gorgeous. And I think they used one Kino Yeah, and the rest was available light and timing it correctly. Totally. And I think if you if you cut down on the crew and that kind of overhead, you're able to kind of plan your day around yeah. that. So you can say, look, you know, it's not quite right this morning. Let's try and reschedule and then maybe let's try something. And 30 to 40 grand takes you a lot further. Yeah. Yeah. You because know? I mean, you, especially if you're already on the camera body, it's. Yeah. The other thing that was important to us, too, is that we wanted to pay people. We, d- we did not want people working for free. So that was the other big thing is that we said, well, this is how much money we have to pay. So this is how much crew we can have. I assume that it was a really positive experience when it's all said and done. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, it almost killed me, but it was incredible. I mean, it was just uh, this incredible, like, emotional expression. And uh, it was a real, uh, to me, it was really kind of seeing in one place kind of the years of experience that I've uh, accumulated at this point. So that was really interesting to see that in action, you know. You want to do more? Want to do more narrative? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm really, I love, I, I love uh, the, the world of narrative filmmaking. I would love to make uh, several more narrative films, uh, but I, I would also like to make them on smaller budgets because I really love the creative freedom that we had. Yeah, definitely. I mean, once you get investors of a certain flavor, it kind of yeah. starts to have its own new limitations. I mean, I wouldn't mind, you know, obviously doing it for more than obviously $40,000. Yeah, that's, I, that's not, that's not I think just being able to be agile and to be able to almost, we almost treated it like a, a doc crew. Totally. <laughs> But we were, but, but we still had I was going to say that like the doc work informs the narrative and vice versa. Like, like I think Parts Unknown does a, oh, yeah. does a great job of blending it as much as you can mm-hmm. in the tight situations that they find themselves in. And how much of that, how, like how, how hard is it? Like what is that, what is that effort or mindset? I mean, I, I think if you look at the DPs that have been with that show for years, I mean, those guys are operating at an incredibly high level because what you're dealing with is you have very tight time you know, a lot of things that are unknowns, um, you know, trying to capture those, those kind of verite moments, but at the same time, uh, focusing on really incredible cinematography. And I think that's, you know, one of the things about the show that people really love. And I think that also other crew people really enjoy is that I think they understand the amount of work that goes into this cinematography and the design of the show, knowing that it's still, it's a travel, it's a doc show, you know? Yeah. Um, 
So there is no time for these like gigantic setups that, so what's happening? That's what makes it more incredible. Exactly. Like when I'm watching it, knowing that you guys, like how you guys are achieving, I'm like, man, like, holy it, it's cow. pretty good. And again, I, I, my hat is off to the guys like uh, Zach, Todd, Mo, Jerry, like all those guys that have been, you know, working on the show for years. And it's, I mean, they're, like they're operating and, at a very, very high level. What's you know? it like coming in knowing that, that it is like those core four and then, but then you get brought on for, you know, uh, an episode of what one destination are you, do you feel like you're coming into a, a, a family that you need to like play by their rules? And how do you, how do you do that being like a somewhat of a, not a day player, but like an episode player? I think initially I just went in very, you know, with a very soft touch. I mean, which I think is my natural, I, I think that's how I naturally would act anyways. And I just went in there to really kind of learn and watch, you know, I was, um, and I mean, I've learned a ton from those guys. Uh, not including the other guys, you know, that I also work with as well, like Ethan and Alan and Ian and Fred. I mean, it just every day I'm picking up something new from all these guys. Yeah. And they're all, I'm lucky enough to work with just like some just incredibly talented people. I think I knew that going into Parts Unknown because I knew that it was a very tight knit group um, and that they had all, had all traveled together a lot and been in some pretty crazy situations together. So I just went in just thinking, okay, I'm just going to try and fit in where I can. And just kind of assist, you know, if there's holes, you know, if if, uh, if I can help these guys get a lighting setup going here or just to throw, throw in, out some ideas. But I really kind of wanted them to naturally lead the charge. And then I would just kind of follow and just add some input as needed. Yeah. And I think it worked out really well. And um, Clearly, they keep calling you back. <laughs> yeah, but, it, you know, it's really, and again, this sounds cliche, but it really is a, uh, it it always feels like a team effort. I think that shows like this, I mean, you know, from Mind of a Chef, it's like it's all hands on deck, you know? It's yes. like, I mean, everyone's just got to be able to perform and perform well, you know? Yeah. Uh, under a great deal of pressure, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's it's um it's always great seeing the end result because, like, you know just how difficult it was on the day. And, yeah. And then that also makes... You know, especially with CPZ, that what they do in in post is the stuff of like genius, and so it's, it's really it's really it's something. I was talking about it with Ethan, I think on the podcast where I was like, you know, you you sometimes it's just so hard, and the days are really long, and it's and it's the, the travel elements are insane, and you know that you got something, but you're not sure what you got, right? And then you you see that you know you see it air, and you're just like, holy, like yeah, you know, I guess that that crew that team effort it extends into post. And you're like, man, these guys take oh, take what we shoot and turn it into something of another elevated level. It's really it's cool. unbelievable. Like I've the few times I've had a chance to chat with the editors and the designers and the animation people, I just I try to be as effusive as possible because it's not I'm not bullshitting them. Like I just I yeah. am amazed when I see the work that they do with the 80 hours of footage we deliver to them. You I know. know at the end, it's it's astounding. It really is seeing their 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 mill of people transcribing. Like, yeah, and oh, just the patience gosh. it takes to go through that footage and really create a story. Again, I, I think what, what you have is a very special situation there. I think you have these immensely talented, self-directed people that all enjoy working together. And yeah. I think that that happens so rarely, yeah. you know? Yeah. So to finish on, thinking about, I've been thinking about the, the, the idea that, you know, there isn't really this goal or like this end moment and you're like, ah, I did that. How are you for yourself defining your success and your, and like, your happiness and where you're getting this feeling that you're you're doing what you want to be doing. It's interesting. I've been thinking about this a lot, actually. Uh, I think since we had had a baby, and and even before that, you know, I think uh, Eve and I have been lucky enough. I think to have people in our lives and in our families, parents, uncles, aunts, siblings, who are are very successful and 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 do not not financially necessarily, but just 
who really enjoy what they do and really like what they do and they, they enjoy going to work and they're proud of the work that they do. And I think as a child of, like my mom, for example, as a nurse, to, to know that she's very gifted as a healer and to know that that, you know, at, at the core, that's her life's calling. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that as her son. And I think for Aoife, for her parents, the work that they do, her mother is a teacher, uh, her father uh, works in neonatal behavioral psychology. And, you know, the amount of work that they've done is amazing. And, and I think she knows that when they came home from work, they were very proud of the work that they did. So what I'm trying to say is basically... As, as a parent, I think success for me, or I'm sorry, as a person, success for me would be for our children and our family to know that we really enjoyed the work we did, that we worked very hard at it, and we felt like that the work we did had a positive impact. Like I'd really, to have your, the people you love be proud of what you do, I think is really, to me, would be, would be a, a wonderful measure of success, you know, to know that we've made an impact that's been positive overall. Cool, so. man makes sense to me <laughs> yeah well thanks so much for coming down and talking thanks, man. I, appreciate I really it. i really do appreciate it and um yeah it's it's great to know after working with you a bunch of times it's nice to know where you're coming from yeah it's great to really discuss it because sometimes you don't you kind of get lost in the whole thing but it's interesting to kind of to flush it out a bit cool well thank yeah, you thank you <laughs>